Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Ikara, and uh, you're listening to episode number 21. And this week, uh, one of my best friends, longest friends, um, and um, really in a lot of ways a mentor to me, the uh, legendary Denver artist Jack Jensen is joining me for the first of uh, a series of ep- of episodes that we're going to do um, as a kind of an interview about kind of his life and career from uh, from uh, getting started in the arts and, uh, you know, uh, as a teenager and um, in his early 20s and the late 70s being one of the first, uh, being part of the whole first of the punk scene here in Denver uh, kind of the generation that created punk, you know, he really is in, in that, that, uh, group, and, um, so, yeah, this first episode, we're dealing primarily with that era, from his birth up to 1970, um, the next episode, we'll dig more into the 80s, and maybe, like, the, uh, and then we'll go from there, depending on how long that goes, um, Probably that next one will be more about the 80s, maybe early 90s, and then we'll do um, another episode about his time running uh, Mutiny Now um, in the uh, early 2000s, which is how he and I became friends um, many years ago, and uh, where I he invited me to show my art for the first time, and then we had our, our Degenerate Art Exhibition in... Uh, January or February 2008, uh, which we did a, a another degenerate art in 2000 and uh, uh, 2019. So about uh, just missing the 10 year anniversary by a year, but um, yeah. So and we're having an art show in February this next year, 2023. Uh, opening on the 17th at Talk Gallery. So I've been busy painting, getting ready for that show, uh, trying to get as much done as I can and then get everything, get things framed and ready to hang and all that kind of stuff. So we're getting there. We're very excited. This first our, uh, show I've done uh, since since 2019 and our degenerate art um uh, degenerate art shows that we did. Uh, the degenerate art name that we'd used was uh, uh, inspired by uh, the Antarte Kunst, where the, you know, both uh, Jack and I are uh, very, very heavily inspired and influenced by uh, particularly uh, expressionist, German expressionist painting, as well as surrealism and things like this data from that era uh from the first half of the 20th century and um and uh kind of in honor of these artists we we decided to uh call it degenerate art in the sense of kind of um taking that back here in a way you know like kind of throwing it back instead of uh instead of attacking this artist degenerate is celebrating it you know in a way uh kind of in a way it's a kind of uh very 
uh, I'm not sure what the word is, but kind of a just attack on that kind of Nazi idea of this art being degenerate and all this stuff. It's kind of like when punk came out and people are, you know, calling you a punk. And so you're just like, yeah, I'm a punk. Fuck you. You know, it's kind of that idea, but with art in terms of degenerate art, you know, yeah, we're degenerates, you know. Uh, that was kind of the idea behind that idea behind that name, and it's one that I like a lot uh, because yeah, that kind of art is the most so most important for me. And I'm gonna I think in uh near future gonna do an episode about German expressionism. Uh, I've got some new books to read about it as well as I'm gonna reread the one that I have and uh, dig into German expressionism, particularly my favorite school of that which is the Dibrucke, uh from before World War One, uh which I think is the uh the Berlin home uh section of of uh expressionism which uh I think is yeah it's my favorite out of all of that movement. Um it's also the one that my favorite artist which is Edvard Munch uh was connected with as well and you know that'll be a eventual subject for my um for the podcast as well as maybe doing an episode about Eduardo Munk um pulled out my uh biography of him which I think I'll reread at some point and, you know but you know, that's in the future at some point um Next week will be finally, should be the uh, Funeral Doom episode with Sage. Uh, We weren't unable to record it this week, but I was able to do this episode with Jack, so it works out. Um, And yeah, definitely uh, definitely looking forward to more. I'm looking forward to holiday being over. Uh, My work has been very, very, uh, uh, I guess, time-consuming and tiring from that so looking forward to that being over yeah uh, i'm looking forward to getting the rest of the uh, interviews of jack as well this is an idea that i've been germinating on since even before i started the podcast was doing these uh, interviews with jack um and in this one we have we also spin off about a bunch of asides on different subjects and you know that's, that's part of it and uh, in a lot of ways, the you know we're trying to focus in on the particular period of time, but you know Jack talks about other things and other times here and there. You know, non-linear in a way, but more focused in on that period of time. Um, no, like the true spirit of, in my opinion, what punk should be, which is you know, an idea of freedom and individuality and all those kinds of stuff, which I think is pretty at odds with the kind of uh, conformist nature of punk for a long time now. Um, See, so yeah, we're going to get into the episode um, here in a second. Uh, I've also been, I've been listening to the... Uh, audiobook of the rise and fall of the third reich which has been a pretty interesting experience uh it's a book that i i've read parts of in the past but never was able to make my way all the way through it 
And so, uh, yeah, I found that listening to it while I work is a very good way to work my way through it. It's taken like almost a week or more. It's like 55 hours or something. Um, Yeah, maybe I'll do an episode about my thoughts about that. And uh, that fucking idiotic stupidity of of so many people. uh, Nazis and even the Allied people like before the war and... Just, uh, there's a lot of, you know, it's an interesting book. It gets a little tiresome sometimes just because you get tired of hearing, you know, oh yeah, now Nazis lied their way through something this time again. They did way too many times. But uh, aside from that, I mean, it's a great book. Very well written. Just got done with the section um, describing the uh, attempt on Hitler's life uh, that they made in that movie Valkyrie, which I've never seen. But the uh, description of it in the book is amazing. It's very, very captivating, and you feel very tense. And, you know, it's very depressing, the ending of that. And, uh, you know, so, so I'm uh, occupying time, my time while I work is just li- been listening to like, World War bo- audio books for the past few weeks. Um, you know. I think uh, I think sometimes listening to those things is good to uh, remind yourself that uh, life could be a lot worse. You could be uh, living through the fucking hell that uh, people did back then. And I think it's important for everybody to to uh, learn as much as they can about the wars, and that way they, you know, I feel like if more people had a bigger grasp of history and actually understood, let's say, what the Nazis were. You know what the communists did, all these types of things. I think people would be a little bit smarter with the way that they go about their lives. But unfortunately, most people don't even understand what these concepts even mean. Don't have any uh, historical grounding in those words that they use, and they've reduced all this stuff to nonsense in so many ways. It's very unfortunate. But yeah, maybe I'll do an episode about that. Uh, we'll see. I'm trying not to get political, but it's more just uh, thoughts that inspired by reading, by you know, listening to this book and the thoughts about the history of the war and uh, all this kinds of stuff. And and uh, maybe maybe we'll do that. I mean, it's not really being political; it's just being realistic and historical, talking about what happened. Not uh, that's all it is. But um, anyways. We're going to get into the episode, and um, I think, let's see, I believe before we uh, play the, um, uh, play the episode, or the uh, interview, sorry, (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, we're going to play uh, Sex Pistols, I think we'll do... uh, Holidays in the sun. Um, I hope everybody enjoys. Uh, Hail Satan. Come on. 
Alright, so I'm here with Jack Jensen, and uh, we're starting off the uh, first interview, it's going to be an ongoing series, we're going to go through Jack's life and career. <laughs> you ready, Jack? <laughs> Take one! <laughs> Next! Yeah. I figured to start off with, um, for people who don't know, like, where were you born, like, where are you from, all that kind of, you know, the kind of basic stuff, like, early life. I'm from a little town called None of Your Fucking Business. <laughs> uh, I'm from Waukegan, Illinois. It's just north of Chicago on the border of uh, Illinois and Wisconsin. Um, lived there for 17 years. Um even as a youngster, I had influences from my neighborhood. Uh, a lot of growing up, I didn't really know it at that first part of my life. Growing up in a ghetto or the projects. Um, is that is that where you grew up? Like in a well, a the er, earliest part. Yeah, the earliest part of my life. And then uh, we moved to a, a bigger, a big house, a bigger house, and a totally different part of town. Same city, but different part of town but that's where I went to uh, I, I went through uh, God grade school <laughs> junior high and uh, three years of high school before moving out to Denver Colorado in 1973 yeah. with my family but uh, the roots were somewhat planted already then what what I really liked in the way of art uh, what I wanted to I I pretty much knew I wanted to do something with art or be an artist my whole life. I just didn't know exactly what. Uh, always had an influence with horror movies, um, the macabre. Uh, like watching so, like Universal movies and stuff like that? Exactly. And three students. And, uh, and just a variety of unique, I won't even call the three students horror, but influence... Uh, Dry humor, sick humor, uh, Mad Magazine, uh, mm. getting into great, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, my, uh, I don't want to call it my COVID fog, but my brain is kind of, kind of working funny here. Junior high was when I, I think I was really determined to start understanding and practicing art in a variety of ways. Uh, my eighth grade. Our teacher, Stanley Haley, idiot, who got fired the next year, made the comment that I still live by. It's like, your work isn't fit to line a birdcage. <laughs> and even as a kid, you know, I was thinking, yeah, I'll show you. Uh, but, you know, a, maybe a weaker person would have folded with that. And like, yeah, you're right. You're right. And it's like, no. Mine. Pretty much you say no, I say yes. So you had that kind of reaction, like, oh, you think it's not good, so I'm going to show you. Like, Yeah. Yeah. So getting into high school... Uh, I was really, I was introduced to silk screening in art. Uh, pr I ha they had a print shop where you actually learned to use the machines, photography. The So I was able to combine photography, photo silk screening, uh, really got into what, I, what I'll call that form of printing in the 70s. Most of it was lead-based ink. Uh, they didn't have nice, clean, water-based things like they do today. So 
really bad for your health, but nobody even talked about that back then. You no. still could smoke in restaurants and, <laughs> and elevators and grocery stores and, you know. Smoke wherever you want. It basically. <laughs> so people were not concerned with uh, cancer is causing uh, inks, dyes, whatever. No. But I also had my first taste of working with metal, jewelry, in uh, high school also. So... This was up until 1973. I was uh, really into photography, black and white photography. I was learning color photography, developing all my own film, doing photo silk screening. Uh, so that was like the root of... That was it. And I also got my first job. It was called Waukegan Blueprint, which was a blueprint company that sold art supplies. So in the blueprinting area, I was also able to enlarge photos get these huge negatives that I would need to make the photo silk screens. Okay. They also, I was also in charge of their silk screen department at age 16. <laughs> so, right. That, because I, once I had an interest in something, I would follow it as much as I could. Right. So moving out here started fresh. I didn't know anybody. It was like, this was a, a, a desert, no culture, no, no, it wasn't a city. It's not a city compared to what let's call Chicago. Because Waukegan's like outside of Chicago. Yes. So you're kind of so, I mean, used to like, you're kind of like, you could see like, like, uh. Let's put it this way. The only people who wore jeans in Illinois at that period of time were hillbillies and farmers. Right. Moving out to Colorado, it's like, what's all this? I it's mean, it's you all know, hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. But, uh, I discovered miningers fairly early on, started high school and, uh, accelerated in the art class because, I was nearly a dropout or flunking out in the Chicago schools because I wasn't doing well in my English or math or science. Come out here and it's like, oh, you've got all those credits. I didn't even know what that word meant. Credits. Right. You can take whatever you want. So I took woodworking. I took metalworking. I took jewelry. I took printmaking. I took ceramics. I took psychology. I took history of <laughs> film. I t you know, and by doing these things, it was like I was teaching my my professor or my teacher in high school how to silkscreen. Right. I knew more than she did. She she got me more involved in my metalworking, you know, casting, silverwork, enameling. So again, expanding something I would do in silkscreening I wanted to do with a, a photo etch on metal. Right. So you're learning like uh, like these real like uh, heavy duty kind of craft craft arts. Yes. And back yeah. then silkscreen uh most posters for bands were still being silkscreened or lithographed, stone lithographed. They weren't using machines. There were no computers. Computers were the size of a building. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't, you know, I mean, it, it was just, it was amazing how, you know, even hand cutting stencils, that, there was more hand work. There was more of the human touch to all of this work yeah. at that period of time. So after high school, I, I was, I pissed off a lot of people because I was, uh, knighted or, or given the gift of artist of the year because i was just yeah, I mean, doing yeah, everything doing all everything, over yeah. the place <laughs> and uh right out of high school i entered a an art it was an art show at university hills which was a, a mall back then a plaza mall and Guyrie's paint was and art supplies was hosting this art show so I did a four foot by four foot silk screen of the Goodyear blimp 
<laughs> chrome mylar with black ink on it, mm. which that talk about 70s to the max. I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> real glittery, little really shiny, bright, glossy. It was like nothing anybody had seen. I took first prize with that, and I got a $100 gift card. Were you already aware of like um, Andy Warhol and the New York Dolls and all kind of stuff by he, then? Thank you for reminding me of that. Absolutely, because it was uh, Andy Warhol was always a big influence. I, I knew the name even as a child going through grade school. Right. And uh, well, he's from he's from Illinois too, isn't he? No, he's from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. But I mean, again, I was exposed to the Chicago Art Institute. I was we were exposed as a family to art and music. You know, not just. I'll fast forward again to moving to Colorado. Everything that I had heard two years earlier in Chicago, they're finally playing stupid stuff like Houses of the Holy Here or John Denver every fucking hour. Just, you know, right. <laughs> like, oh, this is so cool. No, it's not. Because I had already had a taste of Iggy and the Stooges, the MC5, the New York Dolls. Glam Glitter Rock was just on the verge. So yeah. I was listening to early David Bowie, Lou Reed, all the people that were, you know, why are you listening to that stuff? It's like, why are you listening, you know, in reverse? Why are you listening to that shit? Right. They don't play into this on the radio for a reason. Right. You know, and uh, so those, I was interested. I don't want to say I was an, I didn't feel I was an outcast, but I was definitely an individual. Right. I was a really a stranger in a foreign land coming out here because in, in the Midwest, Chicago, back east, all of this music, all of this art, all of this culture was just, you know... It was a lot more... Con I mean, even today, it's, I feel like they're, you know... <laughs> we're, that, we're in a, a... That's where things are happening. We're in a uh, desert here. Yeah. <laughs> everything's like two... Even sometimes ten years behind here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I went to the community college because I knew I wanted to learn more about art. And I... I knew I knew I need, needed to take basics like English or whatever, so I got those out of the way at Arapahoe Community College. Also, took printmaking, jewelry design, art history. Again, building up my. I knew what my likes and dislikes were at a fairly young age. I knew who Salvador Dali was. I knew who Andy Warhol was. I knew who, you know, some of the expressionists were already. Like, you know, when like I was a teenager. Edvard Munch can be like that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, it was like I was exposed to this partially through the art museum and partially just, you know, it's like, oh, you know, looking through an encyclopedia, it'd be like, oh, look at this. Who did this? You know, and an interest in like my, what people might call the obscure or the absurd or at that period of time. Did you already find, do you find out Dada as a teenager? Uh, yes. That no, that was... I had a taste of Dada, but by, by the time I, I got out of Arapahoe High School two years there and went to Metro State College, it was I, I started to focus on art history between the wars because it's like I, I really liked, I had a taste of some of those artists, and I was just like, wow, Dada is this, it's anti-art. And I was, I was drawing connections to the earliest punk movement, which was, excuse me, anti-music. Yeah. Like, we're tired of the, the, you hippies, we're tired of the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and the Stones, you're dead, you're done, it's time for our turn. Yeah. Oversynthesized, shitty disco music that they couldn't take on the road and play because it's just all made in a, a studio. Right. So the roots were coming back, so I had, 
again, an out, feeling like I was an outcast. I mean, I was wearing a what I'll call my uniform, even before it was a uniform. I had a black leather jacket. I had high-top Converse shoes. I had ripped black peg-leg pants while everybody else is walking around in bell-bottoms and long hair, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, get away from me. You know, I, I wanted to fit in, but I, I just, it wasn't right. I wasn't comfortable. It wasn't. Right. Well, you didn't, I, you didn't really, you're like, you're like on the, the, the like, I have too much city in my blood. Yeah, you're on the cusp, of, you're on the break, coming from Chicago, like, with, a, as a teenager, getting into the Stooges, and, and stuff like this and coming to Denver where it's like... They don't even know who Mata Hoople was or is or, yeah, again, it, David Bowie or even, you talk about even the very few people that I worked with or hung out with at that point, 70, let's, let's go here, 73 through 76, didn't even know who the New York Dolls were or Iggy and the Stooges or even very few knew who Lou Reed was other than that uh, walk on the wild side. Yeah, that's like don't. Which is like his probably his dumbest song, but yeah. it was Lou Reed. It was like the one. It's like the one Lou Reed song you can hear it at. A, well, you only hear it the edited safe. version. Yeah, it was safe. Well, the edited one was yeah. safe, not the actual album. So, one. <laughs> so I mean, by the time I got into college, it was a different group of, I'll call them intellectuals. Yeah. Because they also refined me. It's like, oh, have you ever been to Wax Tracks? Which was, is. It, for those who don't know, it is like the was and is the record store of Denver. And it was like, no, what is it like? It's like, oh, you know, and that was kind of like the Twilight Zone part of town. Yeah, 13th. Because, yeah, 13th <laughs> Avenue. And it's like, okay, there's going to be a lot of punks there. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll just be myself and walk in. And I felt so comfortable and at home the minute I walked in the door because they were playing this music. And it's like, oh, who is that? And it was, it was, uh, that point it was uh it was not the sex pistols but the damned it was the damned yeah exactly they, they because i've got one. i've got their 45 i bought the 45 of uh i just can't be happy today and it's off center so you it, it always plays really shitty but <laughs> it's the only way i know the version of the song because they, cause they but really... the damn the the buzzcocks the introduced to that layer of because they were the music First one's released an uh, album and single and stuff, right? Yes. And before the even well, before even, even So we'll go back to the you know New York scene, which would have like oh television or uh, the Dead Boys or uh, the New York Dolls or uh, you know. Yeah, they're like the first because they because New York Dolls came out like seventy three, seventy four, seventy two. Yeah, and, Somewhere uh, like that. and they were. They were pretty much dead because nobody... The way they were dressed and the way they looked, Alice Cooper and the New York Dolls broke at about the same time, and they were both doing drag, yeah, for lack of another word. But uh, it was just pure rock and roll. Yeah. <clears throat> Raunchy, to the point. It wasn't cute. I mean, even Iggy and the Stooges is just like, you know... Uh, I feel like Iggy and the Stooges is like the... Uh... They're like the ones who are like the big middle finger in the 60s. Yeah. You know, like they're like doing their well, own and, thing. And they're being high. They're being, you know, it's just like. Them and the, there was, a, it's, to me it was fast living and it was what I was used to. Rock and roll, rock and roll, rock and roll. Yeah. That was kind of the, so, so it was kind of like not until the late 70s, like you're in Colorado. 
in in college when you when you found out wax tracks and you and the kind of punk scene off of Thirteenth and actually started like finding kind of a group of people well, that, that like minded. Yeah, and then, you know I I need to throw in even earlier moving out here. I was in the craft work, which <laughs> right you know was the earliest uh, for lack of another term techno. Yeah, craft work. Yeah. yeah, electronic. I mean, it was just. And even if you didn't like the song Audubon, it was it still it was so advanced for its time that, that those were the kind of bands and music I was always interested in. Right. Then Pure Ubu or, uh, let's see, uh, Husker Du or uh, Ian During the Blockheads, uh, early, early Elvis Costello, you know, when these people would tour, the Stiff, the stiff Tour, mm-hmm. you know, again, seeing these people and pretty much telling you in their own way to be yourself don't copy us create your own and it was like you know giving giving me i still felt even in college i didn't really know that many people because i hadn't lived out here my whole life that right i was it was interesting all the way around but uh it, it helped me develop who i became later on my overall attitude my my style that I continue to evolve, but I keep going back to my roots even today, 40, almost 50 years after the fact that it wasn't appreciated or accepted then, but now I can use it to my advantage. So people, it make it harder for people to copy my work. Right. The, um, <laughs> so back then, like going to last tracks and stuff like that, wasn't, was Mercury Cafe across the street still? Like back across the street and Malfunction punk? Junction was right across the street and oh yeah, it was, it was. In, that was like the street to go to for if you're into like punk and new wave and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And if you wanted to see what the next fashion idea might be, Denver's ver- version of whatever punk was because we did create our own scene. Right. And uh, it, yes, it evolved like they all did, but it, the bands were very unique. Uh, That's the thing that I don't know a whole lot about is um, Denver, like the Denver punk, you know, in the late 70s, like, you feel like, if, I mean, it seems like it probably was pretty hard to to get by, like, doing punk in Denver back then, because, I mean... Nobody, well, because of the hype it got in magazines and a little bit of hype it got on TV, that it's violent, people spitting on each other, uh, people who don't know how to play their instruments, uh, which was, you know, eventually a lot of the punk bands got fed up with being labeled that too, so they refined their music. They turned into the jam, turning into a style council, or, you know, even the, uh, the Clash had evolved because they... They wanted a, uh, a radio hit. Yeah. And then the, the music that was coming out for the most part after they hit the radio was like, you're not the Clash anymore. No. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, I mean, everybody evolves. Everybody, even the Sex Pistols, when they bro- broke up, fine. It's Public Image Limited is exactly what That's the division was that... That's what Johnny, uh, John yeah, Ratton wanted to do, yeah. All along, a dance band. So it... It kept evolving in really fast times. Computers are just being introduced. Cell phones are being introduced. So we're, we're kind of jumping into the real early 80s where I still really didn't know anybody. I didn't. was working in a nightclub called Confetti's, which would occasionally let you play the Ramones or you know, right. the Clash or 
just taste because the airwaves were not playing any of this any of this music right nothing so david bowie early david bowie or uh bauhaus or um you know jumping ahead here you know even hearing adam adam ant or uh you know, uh, think, 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 think. Bronsky beat. Uh, uh, well, you, you got you got to see David. Cut. You got to see David Bowie for a pretty legendary tour in '76. Yeah, uh, station to station, station, to station. Yeah, and yeah, that was. I mean, I, I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but it's kind of my life. It was like, and then trying to find people that. I didn't mind going to these things alone, but I was always trying to introduce people to, hey, let's go see this movie. This is Andy Warhol's version of Frankenstein, or let's go see this show at, at the art museum. I, you know, trying to get, uh, let go see this band. You know, forget forget going to the disco. Let's go see some live music. Right. It was a very small crowd. The bars didn't want to push it again because of the possible threat of violence. So By about have- 1980, they figured out fuck this, we can make money off of this. So then bands like Black Flag or X or, you know, they, they were get, being filtered through the... Uh, I know they played uh, Mercury. Mercury yeah. yeah, and all these little clubs were making all this money because Barry Fay wouldn't... He still wasn't booking them at the Rainbow Music Hall. Or, you know, finally, I saw the Ramones at a small club that was probably 30 feet by 30 feet called Ebbets Field. Did, did, you, see, did you see the Ramones in... in the... In, in Chicago? No. Okay, saw them here. Saw them here. So, I mean, it was... There was a true underground movement here, but only a handful of people. No, it was they, like the same group of 20 people going every show, kind of. <laughs> pretty much. And, you know, it, it reminded me of the early mod scene where it was mostly guys. Very few girls were into that. Uh, metal bands weren't around just yet, so the spandex and all that nonsense that would eventually attract the women to the groups, you know. So, I mean, it was it was about the same group of people. We were like, I don't want to call us a gang, but, yeah, don't get the wrong idea of that. <laughs> yeah, we had our own style. We knew who each other was. We were all pretty much going to the same school. We were all working-class people, some one and two jobs and full-time school load. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an amazing time, I but... You, you just kind of go with it. And yeah. I mean, you you invent it as you go, and that, that was the fun of it, I thought, also, because it's like I was accepted as me by this group, and uh, I didn't have to... I wasn't a weekend waver, as we, or what we started to call people when New Wave was the new, clean version of, uh, of yeah. punk. And it was like, yeah, they would dress up for the weekend, you know, in these stupid-looking outfits with glasses and wrap up their hair and little ties. And then <laughs> after the after the weekend, they'd go back to being a yuppie or a preppy or whatever the hell they were. You yeah. Know? So, where some of us lived it every day, no matter what. Was it kind of like, a, you know, a group of... Because I feel like early punk back in... From, you know, your generation... Because, I mean, you're from the original punk genre you're pretty much the same age as like johnny rotten all those guys it's like it was all about being the an individual yes so each person was supposed to kind of do their own thing in their own way and then you kind of had a similar sense of aesthetics and similar taste in art and music and stuff but but it was it was each was like individuals who are united by like their their 
their tastes and music and art and all this stuff, but it wasn't about like um, looking like a certain way. Like well, it was like not. A, it was never a fashion show. Yeah, but there was a lot of one-upmanship because when I finally put uh, Snow Leopard on the lapels and the inserts of my leather jacket, everybody's like, "Whoa!" You know, because then it was one-upmanship. Or you'd see uh, Johnny Thunders with a, a leather jacket with white lapels and, you know, people doing their own version of what they wanted to be seen or known as. So there was there were like four different mics. There were four different, you know, every, it seemed like everybody had the same name. I was the only Jack. Right. <laughs> there was Helmet Mike. There was Tall Mike. There was, you know, Mike Savage. There was, you know, but everybody had their own taste or their their own look yeah and influence were it was everywhere let's put it, it, it if you getting back to even seeing the ramones and the where a lot of this the way i see things is every day we witness miracles yeah are you open enough to see it and accept it and understand it i saw a miracle when i saw the ramones I saw, you know, we hear miracles. We, And I'll call them miracles because they're an opportunity that only a handful of people in the world at that time understood or thought, you know what, this is for me. Right. I don't care how much shit I'm going to get from people. This is me. This is the real me. And my, my uniform, for the most part, has not changed right you kind of you kind of found yourself and you kind of stuck with it <laughs> yeah and, and yeah the the hair the glasses the you know like the, the love of glitter the love of you know some sort of a shock i'm my paintings you know they didn't always have i wasn't always a painter i gave up silk screening for health reason and i took up watercolors yeah, so I thought they'd be safe, but then I found out that the watercolors I liked were made that were made in Germany had cancer-causing dyes in them. So <laughs> I thought, shit, I'll just start doing uh, oils. But a lot of the oils back then were still lead-based. Right. That's why I got away from the silk screening. But it was different for me. It's just I I really enjoyed it. I knew how to mix my own inks for silk screening, so I taught myself how to mix my own paint. And taught myself how to paint. I never had a painting class in my life. Right. And a lot of my my work does or did look more like it was a silk screen. Mm -hmm. It was a print. And over time, I've developed my style, my painterly, my whatever term you want to use. And a lot of people will say my work is very crude or uh, it's very childlike or it's it's technically not right and i hate that word but it's like well you know what how many how many shows did you have last year <laughs> Fuck you. how many pieces did you sell fuck you did you even paint oh you're thinking about it don't talk to me about what's technically right or anything else yeah. just because you have a degree in painting or whatever <laughs> doesn't mean you're an artist no it doesn't and all these stupid galleries that say you've got to have a degree and a portfolio blah blah that doesn't mean shit no. You know, because you look at this commercial work for the most part, and it's like there's no feeling, there's no emotion. It's You can't look at it and go, oh, Jack did that, or Carl right. did that, or whoever. It, it's They're too busy. There's so many amateurs in this, this, this town. I know it's everywhere, but 
let's say they have a Monet show, all of a sudden everybody's in, you know, Monet, or they'll have a, a Warhol show and everybody's painting like Warhol, or you know, it's just. Is, is it's, it what? Has it always been like? Was that like that yes, in the '70s as well? As well, because it's like, or people like, oh, look at this. I say, oh, that's uh, Egon Schiele. They're like. Oh yeah, I busted you. That's on this page in this book. Don't tell me you thought of this fucking idea <laughs> that you're the only one who ever looked at this picture in the entire world. And it's, and in today's world with computers, it's so easy to just you know, boom, you put up an image and it's like you can even I'm sure search and say find uh, same image. Yeah, and it, sometimes people come to the same image different ways. Yeah, I mean, it, you. I I know people will say, well, this this work looks like, God, who's the guy who did the covers for the Black Flag? Uh, oh, um, <sighs> I forget his name. Um, no, you're talking about. I've had my work compared to his quite often, and reading his his biography, he said, my work looks like, and I forget who he said he was. His See? work looked like, but he said. We came from it from different directions. And then I got to thinking, you know what? I never even looked at your work before. Yet my work, I yeah. came came from a different direction to come to the same end. Right. Because you I mean, yeah, I mean, I could kind of see that in the sense that, like, if you look at the Black Flag covers, they, they have that same kind of stark single image type of idea of, like, a color field behind it, you know. But, yeah, or the but, words. You know, sometimes there's words, and it's like yeah. I started adding words because it's like the image is telling you this, but I want I want you to think with these words on here. Okay, are, is it the words that's making you get the full impact of this? Is it the image? Is it both? And then learning to read my my pictures, it's like okay, the, in this corner, it might say one thing, and then in the bottom line will be over here. You know, the zinger. So. And then seeing the image, how it all ties in. Right. Did or you interpret it your way, too. It's like, you know, seeing one of my paintings, a woman with a black eye, and it says, kill her or not, she had it coming. Right. <laughs> you interpret that the way you want. <laughs> and, you know, the the reality of that piece was it was based on two lesbians fighting. Right. It was just so, a pretty common I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Where somebody else might say, oh, that's... Uh, uh, domestic violence like you don't know shit you know people <laughs> see what they want to see they believe what they want to believe but it, that's your shit right I didn't my I'm not saying my work doesn't mean something but it means something different to each person right you have the, that, that the colors it. the colors the words the whatever it is it will always mean what like saying the, the color think of the color yellow we, mm. You and I have talked about this. What do you think? Somebody, somebody might say, "Oh, when I hear yellow, I think of a lemon." Well, when I hear yellow, I think of a school bus. Right. And you know, they are totally different yellows. Totally. If you say red, well, what do you? Same thing. Right. It's different. Everyone has even different ideas of red or yellow. Or, yeah, yeah. Or the heat, or the. So everybody's interpretation of what colors mean or what words mean. It's like, don't get hung up on one word. I'm not using fuck to shock you. I'm using it because you understand in this context with this sentence, when that word is there, you know what that whole that whole sentence says or means. Right. There's no no hidden meaning there. 
it's like, you know, fuck you still means fuck you. Right. <laughs> you know, there's, you, you can't read between the lines. So don't, you know, we're best friends forever. No, fuck you means fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> still means and always will mean. <laughs> did, did you do, did your, like, because you didn't know, like, in the set, like in the late 70s and that era, you were doing mostly, like, what, screen printing? Screen printing on leather jackets, T-shirts. One of my T-shirts actually was worn on the drummer by the drummer in Elvis Costello Saturday Night Live. The one time they got to play Saturday Night Live. All right. <laughs> so I mean, my so work was my up. work was getting out. I don't know how, but it was getting out. Did you um? Did you do like the the words then, or was it just images? Some then? words, but it would only be like one word, like attack. Okay. Or, you know, a lot of repetitive words like, uh, and I still use this in a lot of my posters, it's attendance required. Right. Or, you know, strict discipline. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do, what, uh, what kind of, what were your, the images like for all those, those pieces back then? Early, early, I would call them punk images, uh, more photo silk screen. So I would take, let's say your picture. I uh-huh. like the way you look. Then I would alter it. And, you know, it, early conversation it's like because it was such a new concept i mean i've been called a punk my whole life but what it what is it to be a punk and i remember asking somebody so, so what are punk colors because he had spent some time in london he goes fluorescence just like annoying yeah fluorescent. so, so and... <laughs> think think of the cover of never mind the bullocks yeah fluorescent chartreuse yellow and orange or pink or yeah so it's like vibrating colors so i was using fluorescent colors which pretty much died out in the earlier 70s late 60s because kinda, of the hippies and black lights and that shit but it had a comeback in the with the punks and that's the right 80s and even all the way through the 80s yeah. and then died again but i i lost touch until what was it about a year ago when i rediscovered it fluorescence was, because i remember talking it, to you about him it was early this year yeah, yeah. and I, had, I tried to help you find figure out like where where to get fluorescent oil, oil. Paint. yeah oil because you could find <laughs> all this shitty uh, acrylic and everything else but no oil so end up in a way creating my own too yeah but okay. colors you know I, the, the conversation when i heard that it was just like oh yeah because again there wasn't computers where you could just like oh look at all these album covers or all of these posters or all of these right most flyers were black and white xerox because that's all anybody could afford right yeah or the poster work was minimal because nobody had money to pay for silkscreen posters right yeah you had to do them <laughs> You were, I, was doing, I, was, I was doing them for myself, so, you know, or for the bands I knew. So very, very small productions, and most were torn up or dissolved in the rain, or, you know, smart people like me would grab them off telephone poles and collect them. Right. The, um, I haven't seen any of your, if any of your early stuff, like, from that era, from the 70s, so I was curious, like, what, what kind of, what you were doing. I, I donated most of that, if not all of it, the collection I had to the uh, Denver Rock and Roll Museum. Oh, okay. So that, I still have bits and pieces, and I have a 50-year collection of flyers that I still cut and paste from even today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, some yeah. of our flyers. So, Damn. I mean, so many of the things... Did you get the, it's like the collage 
like you do with your flyers and stuff, like that style of what you did, was that coming from Dada or was it coming from punk or both? Both. I think Dada influenced punk. Yeah, that, oh, and or the, the poison letter, you know, you know, where you cut and paste and it was like same with the cover of uh, Nevermind the Bullocks. It's like, yeah. yeah, this is perfect. Well, I, th- I think for sure that early punk people were definitely 100% influenced by Dada. I mean, that's like Parawubu was like based yes. off of a Dada, um, Alfred Jerry, like that Dada, you know, play, you know. Yeah, so. the Dada slash, and the Dada's, Dada's and the Surrealists were kind of like playing off each other. And I think they hated each other, but they were influenced by each other. Well, I mean, one comes from the other because because if you think like uh, Breton and stuff started off in Dada and went into surrealism and Max Ernst, Max Ernst, uh, Marcel and, Duchamp, yeah, uh, Salvador Dali, and there was a lot of connection as well with expressionism as well. Well, so. and the same with following the poetry, the movies, getting into the expression expressionism, which has always been around, but I've it was really fine-tuned in the European expressionism, the German, the the Viennese, the that blend, right? That blend after the war, the devastation of World War One. And that that was kind of why you you focused in on that era to study the era in college between the wars, because yeah, there was there was so movies were invented, radio was was movies, uh, there wasn't television yet, but no, photography. Fast living, cars, airplanes, uh, yeah. the, the discovery of the you know King Tut's tomb, the Mayan ruins. So a lot of that was going into the deco modern style. Yeah, it was a, a great of, great era of art in that time because you had expressionism, art deco, surrealism, Dadaism, futurism, cubism, like yeah, like and everything was and everybody and the Russians had their version. The 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 German slash Viennese, the Scandinavians had their version. The Spanish had their version. The Americans even had their version. Yeah. So I mean, it was an international event that was going on, different, and it was all influencing, like how the German filmmakers were definitely influencing the Hollywood filmmakers. Oh yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, um, even like a lot of the Hollywood uh, Universal. Horror movies, like um, a lot of them, were made. James by, White, yeah, he. You know, like, like some of them, like the Black Cat, for example, the director of that, I think, was or no, the cinematographer is one of the guys who's in, influent, uh, involved with the German expressionists, and probably for and with Fritz Lang. So. Yeah, Fritz Lang came in the states as well. The uh, you know, in the '30s, we went to get in the '30s and to get all these. I was drawing Horror movies. All these German expressionists come in. I was drawing parallels between the punk movement, which was saying no future, no jobs, everything costs too much money. Uh, it's all. It's very much like the 1920s. Yes, like, after kinda, the war, yeah. there's no money. Bread would cost you almost a hundred dollars a loaf, or you know, there was no the devastation of the war. They print the. Uh, the winning side took everything, yeah, and made the other countries pay. You know, and it's like no, no real humanity. And I can understand that because it was a different war. It was a war to end all wars until the Second World War. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> but these people made do with what they had. Yeah, and got to see the horrors of war, like 
blinded people or missing limbs or torn apart faces or, you know, people in wheelchairs, people with crutches, people, you know, trying to make a living because whatever they did before, they couldn't do after. Yeah. I think, do you like the, the war? Oh, and the gas. Yeah, the, the gas. Yeah, the war, I think, kind of created a, people had a kind of, it's a very nihilistic time in the 20s in the sense of the meaninglessness of absurdity of war. I mean, that's what you see in, like, Dada as well. well. And, and, and the horrors of war, the photos that you see of these, you know, skulls that are still in, you know, skeletons and uniforms that have rotted away in a... Uh, in a trench. In or... a trench, yeah, in the mud fields and, you know, run over by tractors or tanks or eaten by the rats and, you know, people just laid laid out to rot, basically. Yeah. And then to witness that as a, let's face it, a teenager, these weren't old bags out there like they aren't <laughs> in any war. They yeah, always no. sent off the kids and these kids get to experience all of this nonsense and also experience the culture of Oh, so this is art. It happened in World War Two also. It's like, wow, this is great food. This is, you know... Yeah. Everything that was pure in America was so different going over to Europe and witnessing it in Spain or Germany or Italy or, you know... Yeah, for a lot and, of... And then bringing it back here. For a lot of people in America, like, these guys, going to Europe is the first time they ever... We were naive, yeah. or we still are. But I mean, back then it was just like I mean, literally, like some of these guys. But it was interesting too because you also had guys who were straight up like immigrants or first generation immigrants, or their parents came from wherever. I, I heard um, on one of the uh, um, one of the American trenches in World War One, the uh, Germans thought it was a bunch of Ita- it was an Italian trench like force in front of them because it was all these Italian. Uh, American Italians from New York, and they're all speaking Italian to each other in the trench. <laughs> so, like the American um, soldiers in World War One, you had, uh, I think, like hundreds of different like languages being spoken and stuff like that. It's interesting how they let some foreigners get, join the American army and others. Example: um, my family's Danish. Yeah grandfather and his brother moved over here from Denmark around 19 I think 1907 1908 and uh, became citizens opened a grocery store in Cedar Rapids Iowa World War One breaks out and they're going to join the army mm-hmm. so you know you can't join your foreigners <laughs> your your cousins of the Kaiser you're you know oh yeah so all, you know like that every, kinda... every war you know well, it's like they, my... they talk about that today no you can't the army is made up of so many Mexican Americans; it's not even funny. But yet they they don't want to make them citizens, or they don't want to come into this. There's more foreigners fighting for this country than there were citizens, right? In it's, any war. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, and I think in World War Two, they um, uh, you know how they rounded up all the Japanese in the country. I guess they came to, to um, like to our family house up in Vermont, the Hikaras, because I thought the Hikara name was Finn, it was, uh, was uh, Japanese. Yeah, you look and, Japanese. And then my, <laughs> my, uh, my, I guess my my uh, uncle, them named after, opened the door, and I was like, no, there's no, we're not Japanese, <laughs> we're not Japanese, like he's a big old white guy, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, it's just, they're naive. Americans, they're still naive. They're still prejudiced. They're still, they always have been, for the most part, they always will be. 
been so afraid of foreigners, and without the foreigners, this country never would have been settled. This country is created by foreigners. foreigners. We are all yeah. foreigners here. We're yeah. all, all <laughs> of us. So yeah, it, it's like it's just interesting how history repeats itself. Yeah. But I know we got a little sidetracked there, but all of that was was interesting to me. And what you know, growing up as a, as a child in the late fifties, getting into the sixties. Again, the culture, the music, the sound, the music, the influence of the colors I saw even back then as a child and then resurrecting them when I'm an adult. Right. I mean, my first influences, I have a, a major, I know, I really like Dia de los Muertos. I always have since I would think I was maybe four or five when I was first introduced to Sugar Skulls and the whole concept of Days of the Dead. Was like the where you lived? Was there a, a big uh, Mexican uh, Actually, American, Cuban, Puerto Rican, some Mexicans, but all immigrants? Yeah, it was like Spanish speaking. Yes, so it's like, what is this? You know, and then looking in, at pictures in in encyclopedias and having my dad explain what it is, you know, fascination with skulls. It's not like today where you can just you see a skull or a skeleton everywhere on every corner on every body right it's it's like they were still very mysterious things you know? right so i mean when earliest things for you influences was it's kind of a mixture of like it's almost like a mixture of danish and and hispanic cultures <laughs> you're let's we'll we'll say european yeah so i won't even yes it, it was danish but it, it was it was a melting pot right as it still is even today but you know people don't want to a lot of people don't want to admit that or they forget their roots and when you forget your roots you die right so it's just i i'm not nostalgic about it but i i keep discovering things about myself that it's like now i know why i like that it comes from why that. yeah yeah and then it's like bringing it back to its furthest point Right. Or now I know why, you know, yeah, my Danish, my Danish ancestry, but, you know, the accents, the music, the flavors, even the art that was semi-introduced. Right. To yeah. Me, it was like, it has it, it even seeing early Monk or uh, uh, Klimps or, you know, it has, it's such a unique flavor compared to American artists from that same period of time. Yeah. I think... I think American art from that time, because like Munk and Clinton was like really active, like the turn of the century. It's like uh, I don't feel like American art was quite as advanced as European art at that time. No, no, it I was, don't. It's primitive. Yeah, I think America. I mean, you had like a, what, like a Whistler or something like that, right? Or was he Amer was he British? I think no, Whistler was, was American. No, he was American. You know. You know, you had like some of these, it was mostly like either like these kind of romantic landscapes or. Well, there was still a lot of discovery going yeah. on. I mean, we didn't have 50 states. We didn't have, you know, people were still moving west and fighting Indians even into the 1900s. Yeah. Even, we had a war with Mexico. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, it's like. Uh, it was a different, different it was, thing. It was. The country was still in a lot of ways. There was culture in, from the Midwest, and then the East Coast would have San Francisco, but the rest of it was all Wild West. Right. <laughs> you know, cattle, buffalo, Indians. Uh, That's why even Denver, I mean, I would say that Den, even like growing up, I, I feel like 
the amount of culture Denver had was pretty limited. <laughs> limited. Well, coming from Chicago, I mean, it was. Just, I remember an interview I had in 1980, Westward. You find it somewhere, but it, I said what an insult it was to be considered a native of Colorado. <laughs> and boy, did I get the hate mail on that! But it was like, there's no culture, there's no music, there's no. I backed up everything, and it's still the truth. Even you know, 42 years later, 50 years later. Yeah. It's like you guys are stuck. You're you're great followers, or you're not even good followers because you get suckered into all these stupid ideas, and then oh, you wake up, it's like oh, we we can't do this anymore. We, you know, <laughs> you erase all the culture and history, like you know, oh, we need a ballpark. Well, yeah, so you erased all the the family uh, restaurants and bars and the jazz clubs that were there forever to put up a stupid ballpark. Yeah, you, you know, know they. You That's condemn the property so that you could you were feeding the masses bullshit. That's that's the big problem with Denver is they tear down all the history pretty much. Like can probably pretty close behind uh um Los Angeles and it's like and like just like non caring about its historical properties, like even to this day, like they're, they're it's gotten yeah, even worse. You, they're tearing down tons of stuff now. But you can go to Helena Montana and there's great deco buildings. Or even down in Trinidad, or you know, yeah. all of these treasures, architectural treasures, and you know, where we're sitting outside, it looks like a bunch of stupid shoe boxes because, like, this—that's not architecture. No, I couldn't tell you which architect designed this because it all looks shit. Yeah, it's where, so, where each architecture arch, architect had their unique style back then too. Well, same with the art; it was all. A lot of it was very experimental. It was new. They were learning how to build, make buildings with steel structures, skeletons instead of wood, so they could go higher and wider and stronger and progress. But we, they, they don't. Uh, the city planners of Denver, I'll, I'll just, we'll start stay in Denver. <laughs> they don't know how to plan. No, it's a, it's a mess. There, the roads lead nowhere. They can't handle the traffic. Uh, they. We're sitting in a parking lot. It's I'm going to call it a food court because there's like a noodles, there's a a Dairy Queen, there's a <laughs> a Pete's Coffee, there's a snooze, there's a you know a yeah there's a Floyd's Barbershop. But you know what? This is not Main Street anymore. Where are the where's the, like Broadway used to be? Where are the mom and pop shops? Where's the the yeah. local restaurant? Not a chain. Where's the you know? The whole city's basically just strip malls now. That's all it is. Yeah, you know. thank you, Banana Republic and Starbucks. <laughs> and I mean, but in the seventies, it wasn't probably quite as many strip malls back then. But no, I mean, they were all being converted to malls. In fact, this where we're sitting used to be a mall. Used to be an indoor mall, right? It, well, it was a wheat field when I first moved out here, and it was uh, South Glen Mall, first mall in this end of town. And I got my first and second job here. One was at a jeans store called the County Seat. And then I went over to May DNF, which turned into Macy's. But anyway, May DNF, I started on the dock, uh, became the manager of women's shoes, and then went into men's suits and men's outerwear. Okay. So you're like, you're like selling, selling suits? Selling suits. <laughs> While going to college. So, you know, yeah. get getting really good commission because... Yeah. I mean, out here, I mean, this is kind of like the area where... It's uh, 
I mean, is this the area that you moved out to? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and this was, there was none of this. No, this I all, mean, there was yeah. a Safeway store over there where Natural food, Grocer is. Yeah. But for the most part, this was just all vacant land. Yeah, well, I know where I... It was I, not developed. I know where I live wasn't developed until the 90s. Like, uh, this, so. <laughs> mainly, this mainly hit in the late 70s into the 80s, and then it keeps being redefined. Right. So, yeah... It's interesting how how things change like that. Yeah, so they tore down the mall and put up uh, the food court, or what they call <laughs> the streets of South Glendon. I've never seen a street like this in any city, anywhere, any any town. No, it's well, it's, it, it's a plaza. Yeah, that's what they used to call a plaza. Well, they try to create these things where you drive down the middle on that side. And, yeah, uh, or they, they think people are going to walk. No, they're going to park at this end, and then when they're ready to go down to that store in the middle, they're going to get in their car and park <laughs> down there. <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> they're lazy. They don't, they don't walk. This isn't California. Kinda, they don't. They barely walk there. Yeah. I kind of miss the old, like, malls. I suppose these strip malls. There was a lot. That's another culture and a lot. That's another interview. Yeah. We'll <laughs> Mall <get> life. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I figured we'll get in the 80s in the next next interview. I figured to try to stay more in the, the 70s is first 70, one. 70s, 80s, definitely. I find something good in every decade, but those were very influential to me. They still define a lot of who I am today. I know you've been talk, telling me with like a lot of your recent work that you've been kind of thinking a lot about the the seventies, like that time period, right? Like, and the, I'm missing a lot of my ghosts, my mm-hmm. friends, you know, the people who are dead, or who helped direct me into what I am today, mm-hmm. help me to develop and listen to that the right music, or read the right literature, or even understand you know why this is art versus just this is fine art this is commercial art right this is illustrated this is do you think that i think that's part of maybe older music art scenes like that too is that it's a whole thing like it's like you weren't just like listening to punk right (laughs) you're you're also like reading different books and and it was like a whole thing like because i mean even even early punk all these people were talking about the influence of different authors you know right. poets and and, well, and well even stuff, yeah you know, listen artists what and, burroughs william s burroughs and you know then music like uh hip-hop being developed in new york and also then other bands like the clash and and other people liking that sound so everything by the time the 80s hit, you know, the 70s were being turned, the, the punk movement was being turned into New Wave or the New Romantics. More than they turned into hardcore. And yeah, the, and, yeah there, was, there were your extremes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, exactly. So, I mean, it was, and it, the fashion was going with that. It was, it was a whole, like, four or five year block. And most fashion trends, music, uh, clothing, movies, whatever, go f- four to five year periods. Normally, however long you're in high school or however long you're in college, right, right. That, that's that coincides with most major movements. When when you <laughs> wake in the late seventies, like what were some of the um, like writers that they were they were like reading? You know, like- Hunter S. Thompson. Um, Boy, you got me there. 
I was right. definitely reading a lot of Burroughs, uh, Charles Bukowski, who's probably he's not really a beat writer, but he's kind of like he's kind of like post beat. He kind of came around yeah, after beats, but he's after yeah. beats. So whatever you want to call that group, um, late seventies, you know, early early Stephen King. Um, yeah, because he would add like science fiction. Was it Hubert Hubert who wrote Dune? Herbert. Herbert. Yeah. So I mean, there's those things coming out in the way of science fiction. Ray Bradbury. The man who fell on Earth. Yeah. Uh, like, what's his name? God. The guy who wrote Man Who Fell to Earth. I can't remember yeah. his name. Yeah. Yeah, but then you have the movie, and then it, the fashion from the movie and the music. David Bowie. Because yeah, that was like the late seventies. Bowie was like that's my favorite favorite era. Bowie was Station to Station, Low, Low Heroes, Heroes. Yeah, uh, I mean it was. Uh, like that's that's I mean, the fact that you got to see Station to Station tours is great, incredible to me because I mean that's like uh, I've heard that's like one of the tours they didn't film. I've seen pictures from it, and it was like the way they did the Marlin and Dietrich lighting, and like the. Oh yeah, it was very. Start off with Enchanted and Lou. Yeah, and it was yeah the Salvador Dali's movie for those who don't know. Yeah. And I'd seen that in film history when I was in high school, so I was very much aware of that movie and yeah. what was coming and. Buñuel and. Uh, and Dali. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the setting the scene in its own way, for somewhat of an expressionistic, feel. Yeah, because, I mean, imagine that, like, you, you know, it's 1976, you're going across, like, United well, States, we, where cornfield United States, and he's, like, doing, like... Well, we also <laughs> have, okay, 1976, we've got people like uh, Elton John singing Philadelphia Freedom, <laughs> or, you know, let's put it in perspective yeah. musically, you know, yeah. like, and, people like David Bowie were still not being played. No, he's not. Per- it wasn't until he he had a hit really with Let's Dance. Yeah. That, that people accepted him somewhat. In the States, it, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we have to keep it in the States because, I mean... Can you, I just can imagine, like, you know, you go to a show, it's like David Bowie. Maybe some of these people, their only thing they know about David Bowie is, like, Young Americans and Rebel Rebel. Well, and, yeah. and they're, like, open with... Unchendi and Craftwork playing. Well, these clods <laughs> here, you know, are still listening to Fleetwood Mac or uh, God. I don't didn't listen to any of this music, so it's hard for me. The Eagles, um, you know, uh, Foreigner and Jackson Brown. Uh, yeah, some Peter, Foreigner, Peter Frampton. Peter Frampton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just, and it was funny to see, you know, see where Peter Frampton started, and then to see. Uh, Bob Dylan up in Fort Collins doing the Hard Rain tour. Yeah. He had uh, Mick Ronson, David Bowie's guitarist from the Spiders from Mars. Yeah. And Peter Frampton on guitar. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. was like 76, 77, whenever Hard Rain came out. So Frampton had was at his peak and then became a backup guitarist for Bob Dylan. In That's a matter crazy. of years. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think he's kind of a flash in the pan at the time well, anyways. Yeah. Exactly. But, I mean, that again, focusing in on what, what was pop music. Yeah, in the 1970s. What was it? Yeah. Well, I mean, in like 77, 76, I mean, was that like beginning of disco? 
Yes, the earliest yeah. roots. So uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band or uh, Bee Gees the, and... the Ohio Players, early, early Bee Gees, Cool uh, and the Gang. Um, Ava. Was Ava, Ava was not really I, what I would consider disco. I guess they would throw some in, but yeah. your, your earliest disco was... It, it, by the late 70s, it had gotten so orchestrated, and I'll use that word because then they're doing a fifth of Beethoven and all these stupid classical <laughs> things that, you know, it's like, why is this pop music? This is stupid classical music that they're, you know, playing at discos. Right. Discos, you know, and uh, the platforms of bell bottoms and the Saturday Night Fever The Nick Nick shirts, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I feel like uh, punk was like very adamantly anti-disco. It was rock and roll. Yeah. But even then, it was like we were anti-Pink Floyd. You know, the famous T-shirt is "I hate Pink Floyd." Yeah, the giant rotten man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or you know, the the Stones were boring by then. The Beatles were dead. Led Zeppelin was dead. You know, all these major major bands had rolled on too long and did not change paul mccartney was trying to get in on the first punks yeah (laughs) he had wings and he he was trying to get to know uh johnny rotten at one point it's like get away from me you know it's like you're not basically it'd be like me saying you get away from me you old fart you know you had your time now it's mine right and don't try to even remotely, you don't even understand or live this music now that you're knighted or a billionaire <laughs> or, you know, we're still working to try to pay rent and get food in our mouths. Right. I do think it's funny because like a lot of the punk bands in that, it's, you know, when it kind of turned into post-punk, did start integrating like weird like disco beats and stuff in their music. But but, but I thought it was in but a good, cool some way. Some of that was also influenced by, the, thank you again, Great Britain. Uh, the reggae, yeah, or the ska influences. So we then you'll have your specials, madness, uh, the selector, uh, English beat, you know their version of what yeah. ska was, and uh, you know that like there was so many new tastes being introduced to the American scene. It was like, which one do you pick? Well, you don't have to pick any of them. You can enjoy them all, right? Because they're, they're all new to us. Yeah, that was kind of like a. A lot of different things. I mean, if you think about how crazy the period from 70... Well, you moved here in 74? Two. 72? Oh, three. Three, Se- sorry. 73, okay. Graduated so, high school in 74, and by the time I got out of high school, it was like... I mean, if you think about, like, 70, you know, three to 1980, I mean, that's a seven-year period, but it, so much changed in that time. You know, you had well, some... Well, we had the Vietnam War that ended in 74. Yeah. So Viet- there were, America was still at war. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy to think about. When you were in, when you graduated high school, the same year that the Vietnam War ended. Well, it, and I, it, the draft also ended, but if it didn't end, I was like number 17, I would have been drafted. Oh, no. And I was thinking about joining the Navy because, like... Well, they don't have a navy. I'll, I'll get in the navy. Yeah, that's what my dad did. He, and that's the crazy thing about like, uh, my dad was in the navy in like '67. So I mean, that was I mean, he got out of navy in '67. He joined like '60. It's like a, I think it was two year round back then. Like he got '65. Yeah. That was because he um, basically got in some legal trouble, like because he was kind of he was like a greaser, like you know, like kind of 
delinquent. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I do know. I mean, you know <laughs> and, uh, s- similar background. And he, uh, they got in some legal trouble, and they're like, "You can either go to jail or go in the military." Basically, is what the judge. And said. that's how they got a lot, a lot of the people. I'm not putting yeah. down anybody who went to war. Don't, yeah. don't read that into that because that's not what I'm saying. It's just. But, but he, he he joined the navy. He decided to join the navy because he's like, "Well, at least then I'm not going to have to go fight in a jungle somewhere." You know. <laughs> well, I, I, I believe no. Even in the navy, I would have had a hard time because I. Do not respect authority. Yeah, that's what I don't problem. like. I always question and be like, "Why are you making me dig this hole and put the dirt here, and then take this dirt and fill it back in this hole?" And you know, <laughs> it, I'm the smart. They would call me a smart ass, but it would be, you know, no. Tell me why I'm doing this so I can understand. Yeah, but sometimes a lot of things they do is is just to break your spirit. It's not. Well, to... the, yeah, break your spirit, and you just you follow orders. Period. Yeah. They uh, they want they want uh, military wants people who follow orders and that so was my I, dad, dad's problem too. I guess he I mean, got in fights and stuff. Even and as a kid, <laughs> I knew that, and I think my dad knew that too. So, you know, it's like he's like you're not you're not a military person. But it, I'll also say that it it got me into okay, fine. I would have gone into the military if there was a draft because of bad grades. Mm-hmm. So. I was putting myself through school, and it's like, that's when I started to take the classes I wanted to take. I'm paying for this, and my grades shot up, my IQ, everything about it. I wasn't just dumb-de-dumbing along. Right. Reality hit that, you know what? If, you, if you're if you not getting an education one way or another, then you will be. And I, again, don't, I, you listeners, don't get this wrong. I'm not... I really, I respect all workers. I don't care if you're a garbage man or whatever. It's just whatever you do, you do it the best you can. But I don't want to say I I envisioned myself doing better. I thought I'd end up working in a print shop when I was a kid. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, I never thought pursuing art. I was never disciplined enough to really stick with guitar or any instrument. So music was not my... You did, you did play... Bass and a band for older, right? Yes, yeah. Well, if you want to call it that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I will use the word discipline. I did not want to practice. Right. I was, per- I was pursuing Your art. my painting, my, my silkscreen, my, uh, the other art. Yeah. Because playing is an art, writing is an art, acting is an art. Yeah. It's just... I, I think I think it's kind of natural, like, whatever it is that you you feel naturally, like, drawn to spending time doing, you know, like... That's what you're going to do is what comes down to. It's like you can kind of whatever you feel a will to, if you feel like, yeah, you do something, I guess what I want to do, like, you know, so it's like if you're don't feel like comfortable playing music, then you're probably, but you feel comfortable doing art. That's probably because you're meant to and do I'm, art. I'm you definitely know? influenced by music. Always have been. Yeah. It's just, and the music I've listened to has always been out on the fringe. Hmm. And uh, I don't. I couldn't tell you anything after really the '80s. Maybe a little bit into the '90s, but for the most part, no. I stopped listening. Right, you kind of stayed into the '70s and '80s. Yeah, <laughs> and earlier. Yeah, the um, wasn't had a, more of an appreciation for '40s and '50s jazz or blues or you know why did this. Why did Link Ray write Rumble? Well, because he, partially because he's a, 
I don't know if he's a Cherokee, but a, a Native American. He's an Indian. Yeah. So there's a there's an Indian sound to his music. Uh, there's just and that also there's blues influenced by the Native Americans. It's, everything is music was intertwined with the art, the fashion. Yeah, that's actually an interesting thing because a lot of people don't realize that there's a big like intermixture between. Uh, Native American culture and, and black culture in the in the in the, those days and, and like you know a long time ago and it was like uh, uh, a lot of these blues artists like I mean you think of Jimi Jimi Hendrix was part Cherokee that's you know? right so I mean that yes it was, it's but it was actually worse to be an Indian than it was to be black right <laughs> you would be more mistreated. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah, so, this, you know, this, is, this is a country based off of his racism. Yeah, we gotta, and gotta hate shit. somebody. <laughs> yeah, God, you know, it's terrible. Steal their, their property and their ideas and, you know, still discriminate against them. Yeah. <laughs> Makes you proud to be American, right? Well, <laughs> that's another discussion for another time. Yeah. <laughs> you earthlings are strange to me. <laughs> Let's see. I guess it's. And an hour. Uh, we need to, yeah, close it out. All right, we're gonna close out this first episode, and then we'll we'll be doing another one in a little while, and about the we'll go through the eighties and. Yeah, I hope that, we didn't ramble and sidetrack too much, but it's it's part of the part of the thing, and then because I'm thinking we'll do one about the eighties, and then kind of do one about the nineties, and into owning mutiny. You know, for the third episode, and then go from there. Sure. Cool. Thanks, Jack. Hey, thank you. Have fun out there.